It's interesting if you look, during this time it was worldwide at that time. Even if you go over to the Hawaiian Islands, they're on Kona. They have a city of refuge, the same exact uh, thing, where a person would flee for their life. Now, they would get into that city of refuge, and there was a boundary line, as we've read beforehand, there was a boundary line outside the city walls, and once they crossed that line, at that point, the priest would take them in, and the avenger of blood, if he came up there, he would have to stop, he couldn't cross that line and come on in, and they would give him a, a, a hearing. And in the hearing, if he could prove uh, that it was an accident, then they let him live in the city. Now, he had to stay in that city. He couldn't go outside the boundary lines. Like I say, there was, I can't remember exactly how far it was, outside the city walls, but there was a, uh, a line that was drawn in circumference around the city. He couldn't go outside. If he did go outside, then he was fair game. But if he stayed inside that boundary line, he was okay. And he had to stay there until the high priest died. Now, the high priest office uh, was one that the man would take, and he would not leave that office until he died. And so, if you had a young high priest, uh, you were in a heap of trouble. You were going to have to stay confined uh, until he died, till probably your lifetime as well. But if, you know, you had crossed over one day, and the next day the old high priest died, well, you're in luck. You only had to stay there a day. You can go back now. Probably wouldn't be suggested, give the family a little time to cool down, but nevertheless, that was the rule, that was the law. And again, God did not make this, he was regulating this entire system. There was six cities, and again, it was within a day's journey, wherever you were at, within the promised land. And in verse 7, he first talks about the West Bank uh, area of Israel, the western half of Israel. And so in the northern part of that half, you have Kadesh. In the middle part of that half, you have Shechem. And in the southern part of that half, you have Hebron. Then if you look at the eastern part of Israel, split it now towards the east, the eastern bank. So in the south, you have Bezer. In the middle, you have Ramoth. And in the north, you have Golan. And so within these six cities, uh, whichever section you were in, your within the breaking it down into not just 12 sections but into six sections you're within a day's journey of running if you ran hard to get there and these are the appointed cities that the lord has given for them to go to if they accidentally killed somebody now if they had proven that they had purposely killed them in other words they had plotted this and planned this uh, to kill them then at that point uh the city of refuge would do them no good. They would hand them over uh, to the authorities, and then they would be put to death for their premeditated murder. Chapter 21. If you want to know more about that, get the tape on Exodus 21 and Numbers 35. Uh, in, there are some neat verses, you know. In Psalms 46.1, it says, God is our refuge in a very present time of trouble. So really, it was a typology that eventually Jesus Christ would be our city of refuge. We are fleeing. We're all running. If you don't know the Lord here tonight, you're running. You're running from your own conscience. You're running from the past sins. You're running from the guilt of your sin. You are in run mode. You're not at rest. You're not at peace because you're fleeing because of your sinfulness. There's only one place of true and continual protection, and that is in Jesus Christ. 
Come to Him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls in Christ. He is our refuge and a very present time, a uh, very present help in the time of trouble. Psalms 46.1. Now, in 21, the Levites come, and the heads of the fathers of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest, and to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance of the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Now, I love this. Because as you'll discover, as we've read through Joshua here, the people come and say, hold it. The word of God says it, but we're not yet experiencing it. Remember Caleb, last week we looked. He came and he said, hey, Joshua, Moses said, wherever I put my foot, I can claim that land. Remember when we were spies, we came in. Our foot landed up there on Mount Hebron, and, and I want that place. And he goes, yep, that's what the word of God says. Go for it. It's yours. Take it. And now the Levites are coming saying, hey, we're in the land, but in the word of God it says that we're to have cities, and we don't have any cities. The people are to provide the cities for us and lands around the cities, and we don't have any. But notice here, Joshua, he knew this, but he doesn't go to them saying, hey guys, did you know what the word of God says? Why don't you claim this promise of God? He waits for them to discover it, and he waits for them to come forward to claim it. The same way as you see in Jesus' ministry. When they cried out, saying, oh, son of David, have mercy upon me. Heal me from my blindness, you see. Jesus says the blind man would come and say, what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> you know, if a blind guy comes running up to the healer, you would expect him just to say, well, obviously you want healing. But he made him ask, what is it you want? Oh, Lord, that you would heal me. Many times people would come and he says, what is it you desire? God wants us to claim his word, to stand on his word, to come on those principles of his word and to press in on him. And now here we see these Levites going, hey, the word of God says it and we're not experiencing it. And Joshua said, you're absolutely right. Let's make it, let's, let's set it up as the word of God says. Now there were three priestly families in verse four, the Kohathites. Verse five, he mentions there because of the children of Kohath. And then also in verse six, the Gershon, and then in verse 7, uh, Mari. And they had 48 cities in all, six of them, which were the cities of refuge. And you can read about them from verses 9 over to verse 42. And uh, it says in verse 41, there are 48 cities and their common lands, the land around where they could have their cattle and have a garden and so forth. And, uh, and so it was set up as the Lord had, had said. Interesting, if you look at the locations of these cities, wherever you're at within the promised land, you were within 10 miles of the Levites. Within 10 miles, you could make it to a place to worship. Within 10 miles, you could go to a place where the Torah was at, the scriptures were at. A synagogue, a place was set up there to worship the Lord. God wants it that his people can come to him. He wants it that the people have access unto him. And so again, the 48 cities were set up for the blessings of the people. But take note, 
had not the spiritual leaders said, hey, we're supposed to have this, then the people wouldn't have had the blessings of it. It's so important that we as leaders in the church and we as heads of our houses go to the Word of God. And we say, God, this is what you said you would do. This is what your word says the blessings concerning my life, concerning the quality of my life, concerning the relationship I have with you, concerning the possessions that I would possess, and it's not happening. And when we stand on God's word and we claim God's word and we believe him for what he has clearly said, all of a sudden God opens those doors and we're blessed. And then what happens? All of those within circumference around us also are blessed. Oh, that we would take God's word for what it truly says. Believe it. Trust in it. I encourage you to go home tonight and before you go to bed to open up to the scriptures and read 10 chapters and not just read it, but feed on it. Say, Lord, speak to me tonight. And show me the promises that you have for me. And as you read the Bible, take out those nuggets of promise that God is speaking to you. All the promises are yea and amen. What has God promised unto you? So many wonderful things. So many unique ramas of God's word. The logos, this is God's word. Genesis to Revelation is the living word of God. But there's also another word called the rhema of God's word, that specific word from the Logos that he's speaking to you. So God has spoken already the Logos, but now he wants to take it and personally speak it to you. Maybe there's just something I've been reading this last week in the book of Chronicles, and there's so many nuggets that God just spoke to my heart. So many little things that Benjamites in the middle of battle, it says they cried out to God in the midst of battle because they were losing, and then God gave them victory. But in the heat of the battle, it says they cried out to God. Could you imagine as the Spirit of God falls upon these guys as they're losing, and all of a sudden, these guys at one time just cry out. Here they're fighting, and they're losing, and they just cry out going, God, help us! And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls on them, and all of a sudden, they start winning. But what an awesome sight that would have been to hear these men crying out to God in the midst of the battle and then to see the battle turn around and victory to be won. So precious, those promises. And God was just speaking to me. This week was a week of battle. And I was losing. And I read that passage and I thought, how neat. I mean, how humble of those soldiers, one. I mean, your soldiers sort of don't want to say, I'm losing, help, you know. That's not typically what you do. But they did. And God heard their cries, saw their humble hearts, and he turned it around. And it just spoke to me. It's just a little verse. It was just a little nugget, but it was something God spoke directly to me. And so in the same way, let God's word speak to you as you're feeding on it and take that rhema word of God and let it encourage you and watch it bless so many others. Well, there in verse 43, So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers. They took possession of it and dwelt in it. And the Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. 
Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Now, this is from God's side. From God's side, all that he spoke to Abraham, he had done. He had said, Abraham, look, as far as you can, in every direction, I'm giving it to your descendants. It's there. He had spoke to them, I'm taking you into the promised land. I will give you victory over every enemy. I will do this for you. And everything that God said he would do, he did. However, they did not possess all that God wanted them to possess. As we're going to find out, once again, over in chapter 23 and 24, God has to come back and say, you didn't possess all that God had to possess. As a matter of fact, they didn't even possess 10% of what God had wanted them. As we talked about uh, beforehand, as they came in and they split the country up, and they had one in the north, they had one in the south. The people fled back to their cities and villages. And then they, Joshua broke up the land into 12 sections. It was for them now to go and to kick out the enemy. The battle was already won. There was just a handful of men here and a handful of men there. There, there was actually no battle really to fight. They just had to go up to these cities and say, get out or we're going to kill you all. We're going to destroy you because you've polluted this land with your immoral lives. And God says, you've got to go. And had they put their foot down, they would have kicked them out. Now, that doesn't mean that everywhere they went, they could just, you know, sort of yawn and say, okay, let's get it done. There is going to have to be some diligence applied. As we saw last week, they, they came and they said, oh, we, we want more land. And he says, you don't need more land. You need to drive out the enemies from the land that's already yours. Well, we tried and, and we couldn't do it. Of course you can do it. God will give you the strength, give you the power. And next week, when we start into the book of Judges, we're going to read in those first couple of chapters everybody's excuse why they didn't drive out the enemy. And it's just a sad state of affairs. As they say, well, we tried to drive out the Canaanites here, but they were too strong for us. We tried to drive out the Ammonites, but they were too strong for us. And, and that's a lie. They weren't too strong for them. They didn't stand on the promise of God's word. Had they cried out and said, God, we're not having victory where you said we would have victory, God would have given them victory. But God wanted to deepen them in the midst of the battle. And maybe you have a battle going on somewhere in your life. It's not that the victory can't be won. It's not the victory won't be won. But God is using this battle to deepen you in the things of the Lord. And as things aren't going the way they should go, and things aren't working out the way they should work out, that you would dig deep and cry out and say, God, what's wrong? And there may be silence at first. And there as you continue to cry out, there's continued silence. And then as you're saying, God, what's going on? I'm not hearing from you. And there, as you diligently seek the Lord, you believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, then He will answer you. But David says, wait on the Lord. Read in Psalms 27, he's crying out, and he says, God, why won't you answer me? Don't turn me away in anger. Don't be silent to me. Don't let me leave here angry with you because you're not answering me. And he says, I would have given up had I not believed. I would have seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, but wait. 
Wait on the Lord. I say, be of good courage and wait. And God sometimes just makes us wait before him. But as we're waiting in the word, as we're waiting in the depths of depression, as we're waiting with that hurting heart, as we're crying out to him, God begins to do surgery in areas of our life we didn't even dream about. God begins to deepen us in areas that have nothing to do with the issue of battle that's going on. And so they came saying, we don't have enough land. The issue wasn't enough land. The issue was they weren't deep enough spiritually to possess all the possessions that God had for them. God has so much for every one of us. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor is in the heart of man all the things that God has for us. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that God's Spirit wants to speak to your spirit of those deep things, those mature things. His Spirit speaking to your spirit about all the things that are freely given to us. But they won't be taught by human wisdom or human tongue. They can only be taught in the closet, in secret, with an open Bible, with a heart full towards God. And God's Spirit will speak to your spirit. And then you'll know those things. No man can ever put it into your heart. God alone can do it. And it only comes as you have a mature, waiting relationship with Him. God wants to deepen you. Now, the natural mind can't receive these things because they're spiritually appraised. But we who are spiritual understand these deep things of God because it's directly from God's Spirit to our spirit, surpassing the mind, surpassing the, any language that can be spoken by man. And it's just directly God's Spirit speaking to your spirit. Read about it in 1 Corinthians 2. But God wants you to possess all the possessions in every area of your life to experience the goodness of the Lord. There shouldn't be one Christian unhappy marriage. There shouldn't be one Christian unhappy home. There should not be any Christian suffering in every any area because of God's desire to bless you. We have to step back and say, God, why isn't the blessing there? And God will begin to speak to you of himself. And if you're willing, and you're willing to go to God's word, and you're willing to wait upon him, he will deepen you, and you will possess all that God has for you to possess. Do you want all that God has for you? That's what Paul said, man, in Philippians 3. Man, I, I'm not perfected yet, but I tell you, I've got to grab a hold of what God has grabbed a hold of me for. I'm setting be loose of those things that are behind, and I'm pressing forward. And he said, let this mind be in every one of you that are mature. And if this mind's not in you, well, at least stay to this place you're at. Don't backslide any farther. But... That should be where everybody's heart is at. Saying, God, I don't care the cost. I don't care the difficulty. I don't care the hardship. I don't care how many battles it takes. I don't care how many scars I end up at the end. All I want is to possess all that you want me to possess. God had so much more for them. And they never experienced it. King David came along and boy, they had incredible victory. But even then... They only had 30,000 square miles of the 300,000 square miles that God had promised them. Only 10% of the promised land did they inhabit. And that's a, a sad statement. And that's the most they've ever experienced. Um, because again, they didn't 
stand on all the promises of God. Well, in chapter 22, Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all the Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren. He has promised them, Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you in the other side of Jordan. Many estimate this to be about a seven-year period. <laughs> so when the Manassehites and the Reubenites and the Gadites, remember, they said, oh, we don't want to go into the promised land. We want to stay on this side of the Jordan. And he said, don't do that. Come on into the promised land. And they said, no, no, we're cattlemen, and this is great green grass here. And, and he said, okay, you're blowing it, but just promise that you'll go across and help your brother win the land, and then you'll go home. And they said, we, we won't stop. Okay, send all your men of battle. They didn't. They sent a, a small portion of their men over. But nevertheless, that wasn't a point. Joshua didn't make a point of that. However, they, they hung in there the whole time. And he says, you guys did it. <laughs> you hung in there the whole time uh, until they had the opportunity to go ahead and, and finish off conquering their portion of the land. You did it. Good job. Proud of you guys. And then he says, so go on back home. And in verse 5, he gives them a command. And it's a great command for all of us. Take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Number one, to love the Lord your God. Number two, to walk in all his ways. Number three, to keep his commandments. Number four, to hold fast to him or to cleave to him. And number five, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Boy, if we would just take that to heart right there, to love God, to walk with him, to keep his commandments, to stay consistent in the word of God, to cleave unto him as we're in the word of God, and then to serve him. So simple to say, isn't it? But if we would just take note of it, and write it down and say, Lord, this is my heart's desire, is to do these very things that your word says. And to just write before the Lord, say, okay, I see very clearly what it is you have me to do. To love you, to walk with you, to stay consistent in the word. And just to, to grab onto you, cling to you, and to serve you. How simple it is. And the blessings would remain and we'd continue to possess all that God has for us to possess. And so in verse 6, Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now, to half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave the possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. Indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, silver, gold, and bronze, and iron, with very much clothing. Divide the spoil with your enemies and with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So he said, go on back home and take all the spoils of war. You've deserved it. And they go back a very rich people from uh, the lands in which they conquered. Now in verse 10, an interesting thing happened. Some time has gone by. 
And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier, on the front of the land of Canaan, in the region of Jordan, on the side occupied by the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Now you say, what were they so upset about? Remember back over in Deuteronomy, turn there to chapter 12. Turn to the left just a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 12. You might want to read verse 5 to 14, but we'll look only there at verse 13 and 14. And he said, Take heed to yourself, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 13, Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see, but in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there shall do all that I commanded you. So here, as well as other places, God made it abundantly clear there would be one place in which to worship, and there would be one place in which to do the sacrifices. And so the children of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built this impressive altar there, and it appears it's on the right side of the Jordan. It's over in the Promised Land, just right across from them. And some of the children of Israel heard about it, went back and told their tribes, gathered everybody together at Shiloh, which at that place was the location where God put to have the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. It was all there, and that's where the priest and the high priest were living at Shiloh. And they were there all the way up until uh, King David took the Ark into Jerusalem. So it was there uh, for many, many years. And then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, in verse 13, the son of Eleazar, the priest of the children of Reuben, to the, and to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the land of Gilead, and with him ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, for each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of the Israel. So the priests went with the leaders of Israel, and they went to confront them on this issue. And they came to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, to half the tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. So we're coming here, and we're talking on behalf of all the people, the other nine and a half tribes in the promised land. What treachery, what unfaithful act is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that you have built for yourself an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? So he's going to have this speech, and it's a very accusative speech. Man, you're treacherous, and you're rebelling against God. And is this the iniquity of Peor, not enough for us, from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. Remember there was Balaam and how they seduced the men of Israel to worship their gods. And when they worshiped the gods of Peor, God put a plague upon them and killed them. Don't you remember about this? When they rebelled against the Lord and the anger of the Lord and how the whole congregation suffered because of the act of a few men? And there in verse 19, Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord tabernacle stands, and take possession among us. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us, but building yourself an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. So they're basically saying, you know what? 
you are spiritually sensing that you're not where you need to be. And the answer isn't building another altar in place of the altar that God has made. The, the answer is cross on over where you should be to begin with and join with your brethren in the promised land that's already laid out for you. The promised land was already there. It's already divided. Your portion's there. Cross on over and claim it. You're obviously longing for a deeper spiritual walk. The first step is cross on over into the promised land. And then he gives another example. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass and a cursed thing, and the wrath fell on the congregation of Israel. And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. So he's saying, hey, you can take one God of Achan, but remember, 36 men died in battle. And then along with his family and his servants and everybody else was destroyed in that whole act. And so again, you're saying, well, yeah, we're blowing it, but you got to realize the curse is going to fall on all 12 tribes. Now in verse 21, Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knows. And let Israel itself know, if it is rebellion or if it, any treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. So hey, if what you're saying is true and this is in our heart, kill us right now. We want to be dead if we're rebelling against God. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings, or to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. Let God come down and destroy us right now if we have built this thing to put offerings that only the priests are to do. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason saying, in time to come your descendants may speak to your descendants saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and the children of Gad. You have no part in the, la in, in, in the Lord. So your descendants would make your descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but that it may be a witness between you and us, for that we may perform the service of the Lord before him, with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. And so they said, no, you're, you're wrong. You've judged us wrongly. We have built this altar for two reasons. One, we built it on your side of the Jordan as a witness to the other nine and a half tribes to say, hey, we are still a part of you. Now we notice... The, the Jordan River seems to be a natural divide. We don't want it to be that. It's just a river. It's not a division between us. And so that's why we built it over there. So you guys know that we built it and that we are a part of you. So it's sort of like a little um, hook, you know, or sort of like a little lock to say, hey, we're locked to you guys. And so we did it to bless you. So you're looking from that side saying, hey, the guys who built that are a part of us on the other side. And the guys on this side will look to you going, hey, we built that, but it's on that side of the Jordan. And so our hearts are linked to you and you are linked to us. And that's the reason we did it. Not to put sacrifices. We never, we will not do sacrifices on it. We did it just as a witness to say, hey, we're still together. And so actually it was quite a, a beautiful act that they had done 
It wasn't in anything rebellious as they had said. And in verse 28, Therefore we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say, Here is the replica of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, for sacrifices, besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. And when Phinehas the priest and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with them, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is amongst us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, the rulers, returned from the children of Reuben, and Gad, children of Gad, and from the children of Gilead, the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them to battle to destroy the land which the children of Reuben or Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben, the children of Gad called the altar witness. Interesting, the actual Hebrew word is Ed. So they called the place Ed. Mr. Ed. And the witness between us that the Lord is God. So if you wanted to go worship, you're going, hey, I'm going to go see Ed. And um, it sounds funny to us, but it didn't sound funny to them. Now, this is an interesting story because we learn here, again, we've got to be careful about hearsay. We've got to be careful that what the man is doing and what his motives may be, may be two different things. I know there's been times where my kids have tried to bless us and actually cursed us. And I'm ready to lay into them, you know. You go in there and the kitchen's a complete mess. There's milk on the floor and there's crumbs everywhere and there's burnt toast all over the place and there's the house ready to catch on fire and you come in there going, what are you doing? You're going to burn down our house, you know. Go to your room. I'm going to come in there and discipline you and you clean up the mess and you put out the fire and... You go in there ready to beat him to death, and what did you think you were doing? Oh, I just wanted to make breakfast for you and mom and take it to you while you were still in bed. Oh, okay. You know, there's those times where you, you get ahead of yourself. They're doing the best they can. They're coming short. And you've got to step back and say, okay, I can't just judge the deed. I've got to look at the heart. And their motive was pure, although what they did was very, very wrong. And at that point, rather than discipline them over the issue, they just backed off and said, let's just have peace. Now, the unfortunate issue is this. What they did was contrary to Scripture. Even though they had a sincerity of heart, it was still wrong. And as we're going to see, this actually laid the platform for later on. 
Israel would duplicate this and they would burn sacrifices there and they would worship. And eventually it went from worshiping the true God to worshiping another God. Now, what Manasseh and Gad and the Reubenites were sensing was that we're divided. We're not experiencing the oneness and the intimacy with everybody else. And that was the Lord. And it wasn't the Lord saying, make a statue or make a, an altar on the other side of Jordan. It was the Lord prompting them to go ahead and give up the green grass on that side of the Jordan and to go on into the promised land. And so the encouragement they said was actually right. You know what, guys? It's beautiful what you've done. We hear the cry of your heart, but we really want to make this an opportunity not to approve of what you've done. What you did was wrong. Here's the scripture for it. The Bible says when you correct somebody, do it with scripture. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 to 26, and also 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. The word of God is always to be used when you're correcting. The word of God plainly says we're not to have more than one altar. It can be confusing, and ultimately they could start sacrificing here, and then ultimately they will bring a curse because only the Levites are to sacrifice. And since you won't, the Levites won't be doing it here. You will have somebody else in their place, which will be to another God ultimately, which indeed happened. And therefore to take the cry of their heart and say, please, we beg you, please come into the promised land. Come on in. Let's have a genuine worship together. Let's have a genuine fellowship together. They didn't do that. And unfortunately, this, I believe, was the open door of the Lord saying, go ahead, put the pressure on them to do what the Lord, words of the Lord says. However, the more general principle is, if your brother offends you, do go to him. And that didn't happen here. When the first person heard, the first tribe heard, hey, they built this altar, the first man should have went. So let's say, for example, that the tribe of Simeon heard, then immediately the head of Simeon should have went over and talked to the head of Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. He should have just went up and went over there. He shouldn't have went and talked to other people. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? The Bible says if your brother offends you, you go to him by yourself. Now, he tells you what's going on and, and you tell him what you think. And so maybe in that instance you're saying, you know, I, I still think you guys are in sin. They say, well, you know, we don't think so. We think this is within the bounds, you know. It's a little gray area, but we think we're okay. And you say, well, you know, I'm going to have to go. And the Bible says go get one or two more at the most. So at that point, he would go back and say to another tribe. He would say to uh, maybe the Levitical tribe or say to another leader of the Leviticus, hey, you know, they've done this. What do you think? This is what they're saying. Now, at that point, the other leader or the other two leaders may say, well, I can see their point. I think it's okay. Well, at that point, you just got to let it drop. Even though it's a conviction in your heart it's wrong, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything's established. So let it go. Now, if one of them says, yeah, I think that's wrong, I'll go with you. And so now you go over and say, hey, you know, I have another person here, and he's thinking the same way I'm thinking on this. And they say, well, you know, we've really been rethinking it, and we think you guys are right. We're going to tear it down. Or if they say, you know what, I just think both of you guys are off. 
then they say, okay, at that point, I need now to go to all the leaders. And then together, you see, now they can make that judgment. And that's to be to protection. And so let's say you're here in the congregation and your brother offends you. Just go to him. It doesn't matter if he's a leader, if it's even me, the pastor. I'm your brother in the Lord before I'm your pastor. He's your brother in the Lord before he's your home fellowship leader. She's your sister in the Lord. Go to that person. Just you and them. Nobody else knows. Their spouse doesn't know. Their children don't know. The leaders, nobody knows. It's you and them. And if they repent before you, then that's it. Let love cover the multitude of sin. Just let it, let it drop right there. Let it be your secret. Cover it. Pray for them. They're healed. Move on now. Now, if they try to protect themselves, oh, no, no, I'm, you know, there's not that thing. That's not true. You're wrong. Then you go to one or two more at the most, and you go to them. In our particular setup, it would probably be a home fellowship leader or a leader in the church it would be that one other person. Or if they don't know them, then it would probably be one other person that knows them well. And so you go to a person who knows them or maybe has also seen that particular offense. And you go with them and talk to them. And then if they don't repent or you don't see the response that you think that you should see, then you go at that point and take it to the leadership of the church. And at that point, uh, you'd come to Wes, come to myself, and we would hear it out. And at that point, um, we would get some other leaders and we would go and address the situation. And at that point, if they're unwilling to change, unwilling to repent, we would ask them to leave the church. We would ask them to go ahead and, and, and go out. That a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If they're not willing to see what we think is correct, and we have to call it the way we see it, then we have to ask them to leave. And we've done that on one, two occasions in the 13 years uh, that I've been here. I can only think of one. And so, again, typically the Holy Spirit does move and does convict hearts in a powerful way. But really, they jumped the gun. They went and took all the leaders over immediately, and that was really wrong. They didn't do it in the scriptural fashion. They should have done it. And again, it's important that we do it according to Scripture. What's the moral of the story? Don't have an ed in your life. Have the genuine thing. There's a good topic of the sermon. Not Ed, but Jesus or something. I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, if your name's Ed here tonight, please don't take it personally. <clears throat> Chapter 23. Now this is Joshua giving his farewell address. And it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua was old, advanced in age. Now, some say it was eight years later. Some say it was 20 years later. I think it was about 20 years later now. And Joshua called all of Israel for their elders and for their heads and their judges and for their officers and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. I love that. You've seen all that God has done. He's the one that has done it. He has fought for you. 
Now in verse 4c, I've divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes for the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. The Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive out Drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land, as the Lord your God has promised you. So notice there in verse 5, we first of all see God's word. The Lord God will expel them before you. He will drive them out, but then there's also man's work. So you shall possess the land, as the Lord your God has promised. So the promise was, wherever you put your foot, God would give you that land. But you've got to put your foot there. And as we've talked about, they didn't put their foot there. Thus, they did not experience it. So he's saying, God is every bit of land you have so far. God has given it to you. You have fought, but God has fought for you. You have gone out to battle, but God has won the victory. Everything that God said he would do, he has done. However, there's still some more God desires to do, but he's only going to do it in cooperation with your efforts as well. So you've got to put your foot there. You've got to put your foot out to battle against them. And God will go for you and he will win that, that land for you. Now in verse 6, Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Again, Moses laid out the boundaries. He made it clear what the boundaries were. He made it clear that God wanted them to possess the whole of the land. And he's very directly saying, don't stop until you've done all that God has said that he wants to do. Unless you go among these nations, these who remain among you. So he's making it clear. Not all of you have done all that God has said. There's still some nations remaining among you. You shall make mention you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. Why? For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he has promised you. Therefore, take diligent heed to yourself that you love the Lord your God. How do you love God? By keeping his commandments, by possessing all that he wants you to possess. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, backslide backwards to cling to these nations, these that remain among you and make marriages with them and go in to them and they to you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes. Ouch! Until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. I'm going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you, and not one of them have failed. Repeating that same verse that we saw back over in chapter 21, verse 45. Not a word has failed of all that God said he would do. All has come to pass. Now, notice here. 
that he says that if you don't get rid of the enemy, that the opportunity for backsliding is there. How do you keep from backsliding? Look in verse 6. How do you keep from doing it? Number one is you you got to stay in the Word. you got to be courageous to keep the Word, keep in the Word of God, to know all that's written in it. Number two, you've got to do all that's in the Word of God. So tonight, if you're here and you're saying, you know, there's some areas of my life that are, I am not experiencing victory. There's some areas in my life that I am definitely experiencing defeat. And to be honest with you, my heart isn't a fire for the Lord. I'm not strong in the Lord. I'm not being the witness. I'm not being the blessing. I'm not really obeying God. I'm struggling with all these little sins in my life and trying to say, God, don't forget me. And you're not living a victorious Christian life. Just very simply, tomorrow morning, very courageously say, I'm going to get out of bed and the first thing, I'm just going to determine in my heart and in my mind, I'm going to have the Bible at that perfect location. I'm going to set in my heart a chapter or a book to begin in. Just start right in the Word of God. And I'm gonna, I know where I'm going. If you say, well, I'm going to figure out in the morning where I'm going to read, you'll never make it. Have you ever noticed how foggy your brain is in the morning? You know, and, it, and if you've got to make a decision, you know, in other words, if, if you say, well, I'm going to get in the Word in the morning, you have to spend the first 10 minutes trying to find your Bible. The time you find your, your, your Bible, you've lost that, that courage of, of doing it. You're probably going to be distracted. Find your Bible tonight. Put it in that location. Open it up. Put a rock on there, whatever. And as soon as you get there in the morning, you've got your slippers all set out. You've got your, you know, your pajamas or whatever you're going to slip into. And you've got your, your coat. And you've got your coffee timed, you know, to kick on at whatever time. And, and you're ready, man. Be courageous. You've got to, to set your heart to say, I'm going to be diligent to seek the Lord. And get it all set and do it night after night. And when that alarm goes off in the morning or when you're awakened by the Father in the morning, just with determination and courage, go for it. Get out of bed. Do it. Start reading in the Word of God and just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me what it is I need to know today. And then as you read the Word of God, have a piece of paper beside you, a little journal, and as God speaks to you, just write the passage, the chapter, the verse, and maybe just one word, maybe a sentence, maybe a paragraph, maybe a little prayer. God has spoke. I hear you today, Lord, speaking to my heart to do this, to write a letter, to talk to this person, to keep my eyes in this way, to keep my heart this way. Yes, Lord, I help me now to obey. Amen. But make a note what God is speaking to you. I like to just write it right in the Bible. I just underline it and put stars by it. I have all I have my own little filing system in the Bible there. And to make note of it, put a date in your Bible next to it. Put a little prayer in the Bible next to that passage that God spoke to your heart. And so, first of all, just read it. And you know what? Tomorrow you'll be on fire for the Lord. You'll say, man, what? I'm, I'm so on fire for God. It can happen from one day to the next. Our hearts are so fickle. 
You know, you, you can't say, oh man, I'm on fire for the Lord and this fire is going to last for a year. It'll last a day. You're on fire today. Praise God. It's because you're in the Word today. And it's because God spoke to your heart today. That's why your heart's afire. The Word of God's on fire in your heart up. Number three we see there in verse 7. He says, You shall not make mention of the name of their God. So make a separation from the world. Number three. You can't have God speak to your heart and then go out and start talking like the world, acting like the world, soaking in the world. It's not going to work. You can't say, I'm going to have a purity of heart and then watch a sitcom where the guy's a homosexual or they're talking about fornication or, you know, it's all funny because so-and-so is, you know, getting so-and-so drunk to try to get him back to their apartment tonight and, you know, the whole thing doesn't happen because, you know, ha, 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 ha. And then I'm going to be able to go into the Word of God. It's not going to happen. There's got to be a hatred towards the things of the world, that you'd hate the things that God hates to the degree He hates them. You would love the things God loves to the degree He loves them. You can't soak in the world and keep yourself with that heart that's on fire for the Lord. You've got to come out and be separate from them. When you're at the break and they start telling the dirty joke, you just walk outside and get some fresh air. When you're at lunch and they all want to watch that soap opera, you just go off in a corner and take your Bible and read the scriptures. Will you be persecuted? Absolutely. Anyone who desires to live godly in this life shall be persecuted. But you've got to take those little blessing breaks during the day just to take the time in the Word, take the time in prayer, and to keep your focus upon the Lord all day long. Number four, we see in verse 8, you have to hold fast or cleave to the Lord your God as you have done this day. And also verse 11, you take diligent heed to yourself that you love the Lord God. You've got to keep that affection to the Lord alive. How do you do that? Spend time with Him. Whatever you spend time in is what you love. I know there was a time for I was really enjoying listening to Rush Limbaugh. But I would get up in the morning and I would say, man, I just, I can't wait till 9 o'clock, you know, till Rush Limbaugh comes on, you know, and try to catch little snippets that I'd be driving here and there. And, and, and I realized after a while that was becoming my passion, Rush Limbaugh, that big mouth fat guy. Yeah, he was my God, sort of my Buddha. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. And, and, I, and I thought, you know what? This is taking too much time. So every once in a while, I'll catch a little bit here and there. I still enjoy it. But I, I know that my affections can so easily be driven to things that are not God. And I've got to be ever so careful. Sometimes in the disguise of knowledge, education. Sometimes in the disguise of, of growth. But it's not the growth that God would have for you. So make sure that in the midst of your work, Take time at that break to look over what you read that morning. Read it again. To take time at the break to go back what God has spoke to you that day and refresh your heart and say, okay, God, I, I see there. As soon as you get home, maybe you'll park outside in your driveway and just open your Bible there. On the way to work, 
listen to tapes or listen to the Christian channel. If it's K-Praise, be careful. Uh, there's a lot of garbage on that particular channel. And unfortunately, K-Wave doesn't come down. Pray for us. We've applied for two channels to have our own radio signals down here. One of them we just got turned down. And uh, the Lord gave me a neat time to bump into a guy who's the one who does all the permits. And so he said, send it over to me. So tomorrow we're sending it back over to him and we're going to reapply again um, to try to deal with the FCC. But anyway, we're trying to get it down here because we know it's so fruitful to have a Christian station down here. But again, if you spend time with the Lord, that's what you're going to love. Whatever you spend time with, you're going to love. Maybe you don't really like baseball, but some friend of yours got you to go to the game and got you to go to another game and another game. And oh, now, now you love baseball. Why? Because you just spend time watching it. You spend time playing it. Whatever you spend time with, you will begin to love. If you spend time with Christ, you'll begin to love him more. The more time you spend in the word, the more you'll love the word. And so we see here that you've got to take diligent heed to love the Lord. And be careful unless you cling to the world and end up destroying yourself. Now notice in verse 15. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promises you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. So you saw the blessings and how God caused you to prosper? Well, reverse that. With the same cell, God will cause you not to prosper and cause you to even be destroyed. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. And folks, as we go on in the book of Isaiah... And we're going to see what was going on in the hearts of these people as we... They were experiencing incredible prosperity. Isaiah was prophesying, saying, you guys are in sin, but you know that there had never been more sacrifices given. There had never been a more religious emphasis nationwide. There was more people going to synagogue. There were more people giving sacrifices. There were more people... Uh, coming to listen to the priest than ever before, and they were never at an all-spiritual time low. They were there physically, but they, the prosperity was killing them. And Isaiah kept saying, you guys need to repent. They're going, repent from what? And he would point out their sins. They're going, if God really cared, we wouldn't be experiencing such blessings. And he's saying, no, that's not true. God's blessing you, and, and that's wonderful, but you've got to see through that and not say that just because you're blessed that you're right with God. And in one day, the Syrians came in and destroyed them. The Babylonians came in and destroyed them. And you look through history. We would all have to agree. There seems to be one people that's been pointed out to be destroyed time and time again. If you know the whole of history, the Holocaust we know about in previous times with the Jews is only one of many Holocausts. There was another Holocaust during the Spanish Inquisition. There was another Holocaust during the Greek time with Antiochus of Epiphanes. The Jews have been annihilated time and time again. 
brutally massacred in mass numbers many times throughout history. We see a zeal of the Lord of destruction because they have turned away from keeping his word. And God said that very thing would happen. Well, then again, a time later, Joshua again gathered all the people together there in verse 1 and 2, and we covered these portions of scriptures this morning from 1 to 28 in great detail. And so if you weren't here, I encourage you to get that tape. But in short, he lets them know that they were called through Abraham, who himself was an idol-worshiping Gentile on the other side. And he says that God has done this. God has chosen you out, and God has blessed you. In verses 3 to verse 13, he says over again, I took, I gave, I sent, I did, I brought. It's, um, I am the one who destroyed. I am the one who delivered you. I am the one that has given you this land. And in verse 13, he makes it clear that I did not do it through your labor, but you did it without any labor. The cities were already built. You just dwelt in them. The vineyards and the olive groves were already planted. You just walked in and took them over. God is the one who did it for them. The response would be that they would fear the Lord. They would be in awe at the goodness of God. They would be in awe at the choosing and the calling of God. And they would serve him with sincerity and truth. What do they need to do? They need to put away those gods which their fathers had served. What do we find in 1 John chapter 5, the very last verse, the very last phrase of 1 John? He says, And little children, keep yourself from idols. Turn over, if you would, to Ezekiel chapter 14. Hey, you guys are doing great listening. This isn't the most interesting passage of Scripture. I know that. And hang in there. It's just, you're in such luck that I am so interesting that it doesn't really matter what portion of Scripture, but you're blessed. What can I say? I, Ezekiel chapter 14. Only kidding, of course. You're all out there going, oh, I wish I was closer to Costa Mesa. I'd go to Chuck. But, you know, that's okay. I understand. Ezekiel chapter 14. Now some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols, where? In their hearts. And put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? So God's asking Ezekiel, should I listen to them at all? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Every one of the house of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart and puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him who comes according to the multitude of his idols, that I may seize the house of Israel by their heart because they are all estranged from me by their idols. And he goes on talking in the same vein. He says that you have an idol in your heart. And they come and they say, Oh, Lord, bless me. Oh, Lord, what is it you want for me? When in reality they have an idol in their heart. But yet they're coming saying, Oh, God, what is it you want? So maybe you have in your heart, Man, oh, 
I wish I had a one of those houses over in La Jolla. And you're coveting. And it's an idol in your heart that you would be rich and you would live amongst the famous. And that one day you would, your house would be on the lifestyles of the rich and famous and you would be giving a tour of your magnificent mansion. And of course, I would have a home fellowship there. <laughs> and of course, I would have a big enough room that the missionaries could come and stay with me. And our maid would cook them an elaborate breakfast and oh, how blessed they would be and refreshed they would be as they go back to the mission field. You know, Lord, it would be for you, of course. And you have this idol in your heart. And you're saying, God, bless me so I can be rich and, and glorify your name. And God one day will answer you. Okay. Yeah, do, do what you want to try to get rich, and, and I'll bless you. You're lying to the Lord, and the Lord will lie back to you. And he lets you go on in your way of destruction. And he encourages it, and you have all of these little nuggets. Oh, the Lord spoke to me, and let me tell you how he spoke to me. Oh, I have this verse, and oh man, I talked to so-and-so, and they said it sounded like a good idea too. And it does seem like it's God, but it's not God at all. And as you're heading in that way, you're piercing yourself through with many sorrow, and you're drowning yourself in many hurtful lusts, and the worst thing that could ever happen is you get that house in La Jolla. And you're sitting over there and spiritually drying up and dying and saying, what's up? I don't understand. God, I thought you did this. I thought, I've been telling everybody you're the one that, that did this, Lord. And, and God said, no. According to the bolt, uh, multitude of your idols, I did exactly what your heart wanted. I answered your request according to your own heart. Folks, you don't want it. We see later on in Isaiah, Hezekiah the king, he's dying of an illness, and this was just God's ticket home. He had a wonderful reign, a victorious time. The nation had all walked with God under his reign, and, and Isaiah came in and said, all right, you're going home. And I, Hezekiah turned to the wall and said, no way, this isn't fair. God, I've served you. I've done what you wanted me to do. I've lived for you, and, and this is the way you repay me. And, and God said, Isaiah, go tell him that he'll live. And he comes back again and he says, God says you'll live. And the Lord gave Isaiah a cure. He told him how to do this thing with his figs and make these patties out of it and put it on his sores. And, and he was healed and he lived. But Hezekiah said, how do I know? No, what sign do you want? Make time go backwards. He goes, okay, watch the shadow. And sure enough, time went backwards. You got another 15 years to live. Immediately, as he's getting better, there's a word that comes from Babylon, a little get well card. And he flips out, going, Wow, this massive kingdom knows about me. And uh, they sent me, they recognized, they knew I was, oh man. I as soon as he gets better, he says, Come on down. And, and they had this big feast, and he showed them all the secret places and showed them all the wealth of Israel. And they were impressed. And Isaiah comes and says, what did you do? What did you show him? Everything. He goes, do you know what this means? 
This means now they're going to come and fight against you and you're going to lose. And this nation is going to ultimately be destroyed and your kids will not know the life that you've known because you've done this. And Hezekiah said, well, God said I'll live 15 more years and my 15 years would be in peace. So what do I care? We had never seen that aspect of Hezekiah before. During that 15 years, he has another son by the name of Manasseh. And Manasseh was evil. He ended up killing Isaiah. Tradition has it he had him sawn in two. He was a wicked king. He was the most wicked king that the country of Judah had ever seen. God encouraged his heart in the direction of his heart. And it brought ruin and destruction. We need to constantly, as David said in Psalms 139, Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way and lead me in the way of everlasting. Everlasting is just not a time, amount of time. It's a quality of time. It's not just a length of life. It's a quality of life. And I want my life to, everything I say and everything I do to have eternal weight of glory with it. I want to spend my day tomorrow with eternity in mind. And I want there to be eternal rewards to go into eternity. I want to have lived a life that will have eternal value for others as well as for myself. Storing up treasures in heaven. Encouraging people towards heaven. Leading people to Christ that they can go to heaven. Encouraging believers to be strengthened though they have greater rewards in heaven. I want to live for eternity. And so be careful. Don't think that, well, you know, I'm as good as the rest of the Christians around us. Be careful. Don't compare yourselves amongst yourselves. This thing is not wise. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, get your eyes on Jesus and follow him as he would want you to follow him. And then he goes on in verse 15. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself. And that ultimately where it comes down to, isn't it? You've got to make that choice for yourself. This day, though, he's saying you've got to make the choice. Whom you shall serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Ammonites in whose land you dwell. So take your choice. You can go back to the Abraham's gods, or you can take the ones here in the land, the promised land, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would it feel good to the flesh to start fornicating and commit adultery? Sure what? But is that what God wants you to do? No. The way that seems right into a man will end up in destruction. If you start feeding your flesh and living for pleasure and start trying to live according to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it will be destroyed. And here in hopes he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. As he's standing up as a man's man saying, as me and myself, I can lead you only thus far. You've got to lead yourself from this place forward. I wish the men of this church and men everywhere acclaim Christ would be the man like Joshua and stand up and say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We see there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, it's God's desire that men everywhere would get together and lift up holy hands and pray. But few men pray. 
you can stay tonight afterwards in the afterglow and count the women versus the men. They're always doubled, if not triple, the amount of people here. Why is that? Because we don't have men today. The guys all go, I'm tired, I want to go home. I'm hungry, i got to eat. They're really saying, I want to go home and veg in front of the TV for a while. That's what they're really saying. That men would get together. That they would be men. That they'd quit listening to their bodies and their body appetites. And that they would say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. They would be real men. And stand up and be counted as a man and follow the Lord. Guys, I encourage you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Let it be that your kids come in and find you on your knees praying. Be caught with a track in your pocket. Be caught reading your Bible out in your car. Be caught in the early morning hours with an open Bible and crying out to God. Make it clear that we're not going to watch these things. We're not going to go here. We're not going to do those kind of things. Be the ones that give the vision for the family. We, as our family, here's the way we talk. Here's the way we live. This is why we don't go there. This is why we don't do that. This is why we don't talk like this. This is why we don't do these kind of things. I know all your friends do, and I know all that the other Christians down at the church do, but not me, not our house. This is the way we are going to live before God. Well, so-and-so, he does it, and his dad's a home fellowship leader. Well, so what? I don't care. As for me and my house, this is the way we are going to live before God. To be men, to stand up. Guys, you're, you're wanting to be a spiritual wimp, but you want everybody else to be spiritual giants. And you're going to find that your family can't grow past you. I know. I've seen it as the church. I've seen that the church doesn't grow past me as the pastor. I've seen it. I've seen people wanting to press ahead spiritually, and I've been the hindrance. It hasn't been that case in the, in the years previous, but within the 13 years, there's been times where God has convicted my heart, and I've seen God saying, pick it up or get out. And I'm saying to you, you are a curse to your wife. You'll be a curse to your kids. And your spiritual wimpiness can't continue. Choose you today whom you will serve. A shallow Christian man and find you on your knees praying. Be caught with a track in your pocket. Be caught reading your Bible out in your car. Be caught in the early morning hours, with an open Bible and crying out to God. Make it clear that we're not going to watch these things. We're not going to go here. We're not going to do those kind of things. Be the ones that give the vision for the family. We, as our family, here's the way we talk. Here's the way we live. This is why we don't go there. This is why we don't do that. This is why we don't talk like this. This is why we don't do these kind of things. I know all your friends do, and I know all that the other Christians down at the church do, but not me, not our house. This is the way we are going to live before God. 
Well, so-and-so, he does it, and his dad's a home fellowship leader. Well, so what? I don't care. As for me and my house, this is the way we are going to live before God. To be men, to stand up. Guys, you're, you're wanting to be a spiritual wimp, but you want everybody else to be spiritual giants. And you're going to find that your family can't grow past you. I know. I've seen it as the church. I've seen that the church doesn't grow past me as the pastor. I've seen it. I've seen people wanting to press ahead spiritually, and I've been the hindrance. It hasn't been that case in the, in the years previous, but within the 13 years, there's been times where God has convicted my heart, and I've seen God saying, pick it up or get out. And I'm saying to you, you are a curse to your wife. You'll be a curse to your kids, and your spiritual wimpiness can't continue. Choose you today whom you will serve. A shallow Christian life or an in-depth Christian life? What do you want for your family? Do you want your son to be a man someday? Then you be a man now. Do you want your kids to have a heart for God? You have one for now. Do you desire for your wife to be spiritual and respect you and submit to you as unto Christ and everything? Then you start respecting and submitting unto Christ and everything. And watch her follow your example and do the same unto you. Let's pick it up. Let's do what God wants us to do. Now the people answered in the affirmative in verse 16 to 18 saying, that's what we want. And Joshua came back and said, no, you can't have it. Why? Because God's a holy God. He's a jealous God. And he's not going to forgive your transgressions nor your sins. So in other words, if you make this vow, if you make this commitment, and then you later on say, oh, forget it with God, the judgment's going to be far more severe than if you say, okay, we don't want God, then the, the judgment will be severe. You'll still go to hell, but it just won't be as hot as hell. Uh, it'll be a little less severe of a judgment. And they said, no, no, we want God. We will put away the foreign gods. And then in verse 23, he says, okay, do it. Put away those foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And then in verse 24 to 28, he wrote it down. He set a rock up and he said, this is what I said. This is what you said. And we're going to always remember this is what was done here and now. And they said, absolutely, this is what we're going to do. They didn't keep their heart in the love of Christ. And in Judges, we're going to see the destruction that came upon them. Why are we going to see this? Because all of these things are a warning to whom the glory would eventually come into the New Testament. Why are these things written? They're written for our teaching and admonition. They're written for us to see. So we don't have to say, well, what's it going to be like if a person keeps that idol in his heart? You don't have to see in your own life. You don't have to wait until you're 50 years old and say, man, I've seen this guy and that guy and that guy and that guy, and I saw all of them eat it, but I saw this guy really succeed, and I've been eating it, you know, in the last 50 years. I've had a horrible life, but now I'm going to start doing what that guy over there did, and that's the wise way. No. That you can fear the Lord and honor Him and serve Him in the days of your youth. By looking here ahead of time, the wise man sees and does. He doesn't have to experience. You don't have to put your hand in the fire to know it's hot. The Bible says it's hot. Good enough. I'm not going to experience the burn of it then. And this is why it's written. 
Well, in conclusion, in verse 29, it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnasserah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now the bones of Joseph, remember back in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25 and 26, Joseph said, when you get there to that promised land, make sure you take my bones with you. I don't want to stay here in Egypt. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 says, By faith, Joseph said, Take my bones. So he was confident that although they weren't in the promised land, that they would be in the promised land. And Joseph said, What the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Amor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in the hill that belonged to Phinehas, his son, which was gone, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So their political leader, their military leader, Joshua, died, and their spiritual leader, Eleazar, had died. And so a new branch of leadership would come up. Oh, how I desire that us guys, us old guys, <laughs> we just love the Lord with all our hearts. And you know, if we'll seek the Lord, and we'll seek Him for revival, we'll seek Him for the salvation of South Bay and San Diego and how far He wants to stretch it, and our hearts won't deviate to the right or to the left, but we'll keep our hearts with all diligence. We'll keep ourselves in the love of God. You know what we'll see after us? Not our kids being what we are, but a million times greater than what we are. We'll see them teaching the Word of God like we never experienced in our lifetime. We'll see them being witnesses like we never could have dreamed of. We'll see them becoming leaders, and I believe great leaders. Wouldn't you love to see in our church here, not a handful, but hundreds of men and women going into ministry, being missionaries and pastors and senators and congressmen and godly presidents. There's no reason it couldn't happen. Let it be unto you according to your faith. If you will set your heart this night to say, God, I'm going to put away my childish things. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I acted as a child, but now I've grown up as a man, and I'm going to seek your face. My life is going to know you hours a day in prayer. Hours a day in the Word. Why not? According to the American lifestyle, we have six and a half hours a day to waste in front of the TV. Why not give a little of that time? To the word of God in prayer. Who says that an hour a day in the Bible is e extreme? You find all kinds of people working out for that much time. You find all kinds of people in their hobbies doing that. Who said anything about eight hours a night being the right amount of sleep? Be it unto you according to your faith. It's interesting reading John Wesley's journal. 
He's, he was complaining at the age of 83. He said, I've traveled 250,000 miles on horseback. I've preached 40,000 sermons. I've written 400 books. And he was complaining at the age of 83 because he could only write for 15 hours a day. And therefore, he couldn't write the four hymns a week and the books that he was writing on a regular basis and all the letters he was writing. And he complained, man, this getting old stuff is tough. I can only write for 15 hours a day. And then he complained that it was getting hard to get up in the mornings and he was sleeping, as he called it, into the ungodly hour of 5.30. And he felt he was in sin. But he was still happy at the age of 86 that he was still able to preach twice a day. And by the way, he was preaching to thousands of people without a microphone. We can get concepts in our head that are just not right. We can have a lifestyle that's compromised and not to the spiritual degree God wants us. And we've got to go back to the Lord and say, God, how then should I live? And be ready for him to answer you. But I guarantee you, if you go to him tonight and say, God, take those gods out of my heart, that I can serve you with my whole heart, watch all the time open up. Watch all the desire be there. Watch all the zeal and energy be there. And then watch the struggle in the marriage and the struggle with the kids and the struggle with the finances and the struggle at work. Watch all these struggles quit being a struggle as the Lord begins to fight your battles and you begin to walk in the strength of the Lord rather than a little bit of God's strength and a lot of your strength. Watch God do the work. All that we had wait before him, experience all that he has for us. Well, we finished the book of Joshua. What discipline, what diligence, which effort many of you applied to make it this far. God's blessing on you and God's rich blessing as his word dwells in your heart. I guarantee you, 15 years from now, you're not going to say, man, I wasted 15 years of going to church on Sunday night. I should have stayed home and caught the Sunday night movie. I would have been far more richer for it. I should have just relaxed a little more on Sunday. I would have had more energy on Mondays. I'm telling you, you're not going to regret it. Some of the Word of God is not as exciting as other parts of the Word of God. I understand that. But you've hung in there, even though you made it through some genealogies and you made it through some list of names. You've made it through a lot. And God's blessing be on you as you're making God's word your delight. Lord, we thank you for your word this evening. and We thank you for all that you have given unto us. We thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy. And God, I pray tonight, I, I can't say for all the other Christians in South Bay or San Diego, but for here, for me, and this church that you've given me to pastor, Lord, let us serve you with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. That everybody else in their little section may not possess all the land, but Lord, let us here 
in our lot, in our portion of land, in our area of town. Let us, Lord, be able to kick out all the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Girgashites. And Lord, let us be free from all of this. Let us see great victory. God, we can't do it. It's not by might nor by power, by your spirit. We know our weapons are not carnal, earthly. It's not picketing. It's not legislatively fighting. It's not getting godly senators necessarily. It's you raising them up because our hearts are saying, God, you do it. It's you going before us. It's you touching hearts. It's you putting these men into power. It's you opening these doors. It's by your hand. Lord, we need to hear your voice so we can know where to step and what to do. Where is the battle that you're fighting? Let us go there. What are you doing, Lord? Let us be a part of it, God. Help us, Lord. Help us to deny ourselves and our flesh, our sleep, our entertainment, our hobbies, our comfort. Lord, let us enjoy all things of this earth, but in moderation, because your coming is near. And let us, let us waken out of our sleep. Let us rise from the dead and let us do what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time, knowing the days are evil. Help us now, Lord. Fill us up with your spirit overflowing. Lord, many of us do have to go tonight. And some can stay. Some couldn't make it tonight because of family or work. Or, But Lord, as we're waiting upon you in this afterglow time, whether they're here in this building or on their way home or at home or at work, let your Holy Spirit fall upon all those who love your name and are a part of this body here. Let your spirit fall and let them prophesy in the camp and outside the camp. And let just a mighty work of your spirit be done as we say, Lord, rip these idols from our hearts. Strengthen us that we could love you more and serve you more because we know that the only thing that really matters is serving you. Only one life and soon will be passed and only that which is done for Christ will last. We know it to be true. So please, Lord, take us now deeper into you. Bless your saints. Strengthen them. In Jesus' name, amen.